Um, some of my friends have uh, started doing something a little extra besides like the kids stuff that we do. Um, they've decided to start doing like uh, sports camps. Um, I have one friend that has done a soccer sports camp and it went really well. Had a lot of kids there. Um, I have another friend that did a basketball camp and a lot of kids came out for basketball camp. And then I had another friend that did football camp, like not European, but American uh, football. So yeah, had stuff like that. So that got me thinking, got me thinking. What kind of camp could I offer to people? What, what kind of camp, sports camp, right? What kind, of, what kind of knowledge could I pass on to young people to help their sports careers? Like what, what could I do? So I have decided that I, in 2024, I'm going to run a swim camp. Swim camp. That's what I'm going to do. All right. So I started working on some logos, you know, just to try to get it down and get, you know, you have to have the title of the camp and then kind of a catchphrase, right? So this is, this is mine. Philip swim camp. He can't swim, but he's read a lot about it. Okay. I just thought maybe that, that would be good. But then I got to thinking, maybe that would scare some people away. Maybe that would scare some people away. Maybe they would think, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll send my kid there. So I've adjusted that to be a little more, you know, politically sensitive. And so an outside perspective on how to swim. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't get to do this, but while I was, I was doing this at 930, I thought, you know, I could also promote myself as the best swim walker in the world, right? I could, I could do that as well. All right, so turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. That's where we're going to start today. Yeah. <clears throat> so after the service, um, Katie will be at the, the check-in center. You can sign up your kids. Um, if you sign up now, there's no cost. I'm here all week. Yeah, I'm here all week. Yeah, I'm here all week. All right, Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to start reading with verse 5. Now, this is um, part of the story of Joseph in Genesis. And if you don't know his story, my encouragement to you is to start in Genesis chapter 37 and read all the way to the end of the book. It is a fascinating story about how God used Joseph. Um, and, and you'll be able to fill in some of the blanks that I didn't fill in today. And even if you know the story, I think it'd be a good idea to read a chapter a day, you know, in your devotions this week, just to kind of catch up on, on Joseph's life. But nonetheless, in verse 5, this is what it says. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So they already hated him, now they hate him more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. And behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. It's kind of interesting that they would hate him for a dream. It's kind of interesting that they would be so jealous of him that they would actually hate him. That's just an interesting little dynamic within those verses. It's just a dream. 
Joseph had this dream, and he shared it with his brothers. That, that's what happened. It's, it's just a dream. Um, but then he had another dream, okay? And then he dreamed another dream in verse 9 and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and even the stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind, kept the saying in mind. So here's the situation. There's a lot of people that say that Joseph shouldn't have shared his dreams with his brothers and sisters, that somehow or another it was unwise of him to do so. That has been said. And a lot of people say that. I am not so sure that that's true. I'm just not so sure that that's true. Um, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, there's only three people in Scripture that no sin that they have committed is listed in Scripture. Did you know that? No sin that they've committed. One is Joseph. There's no thing that he did wrong in Scripture, unless, of course, you take it that way. And then second is Daniel. Daniel has no sin in his life, no, no weak points in his life, and then Jesus Christ. Now, of the three, we know that Joseph was a sinner. I'm not saying that he didn't sin. I'm just saying it's not recorded, his sins. And then the second one is Daniel, and none of his sins are recorded in Scripture either. And so to kind of keep that context, I started thinking in terms of, well, if he wasn't sinning and being unwise when he did this, why was he sharing a dream? Because that's the question. Why would he share a dream with his brothers, who he already knew hated and was jealous of him, at this magnitude? And then why would he go one step further in the second time and not only share it with them, but also share it with his parents as well? And here's what I think. I think Joseph knew that the dream was from God and he was excited about it. I think to Joseph, it was a picture of what was to come in the future, and it wasn't about his family bowing down to him. It was about him being a part of God's plan. It was a vision that God had given him for his life. This is where your life is going. And Joseph was very excited about that. And so he shared it with his brothers. He shared it with the people that he knew. We never give anyone else in Scripture a hard time because they shared a dream that they got from God with other people. We never give other people, you know, in Scripture a hard time. We, and I don't think we should give Joseph a hard time. I think he was genuinely excited. And when it happened a second time, Joseph's like, oh my goodness. There is something. God is really telling me something. I mean, the way my brothers reacted, maybe, maybe it was Mexican food I ate, Right? I'm sure there was Mexicans in Israel. There's, I'm sure there were. Maybe it, was, maybe it was the pizza. You know, he was closer, I guess, to the Europeans. And nonetheless, maybe it was that. No, no. He had a second one, and it, and it was the same type of dream as the first. So in Joseph's mind, he's like, they mean the same thing. My brothers didn't react well. Maybe I can tell my dad 
Maybe I can tell my dad, and my dad will kind of help me get some insight into what God is trying to tell me. Because Joseph was not stupid enough to present it again. This is what I believe. He's just a brilliant man. He wasn't stupid enough to present it again to his family, knowing that it would upset him. There was a bigger reason. He wanted to know what that dream meant. And so he presented it to his father, and his father rebuked him. But at the same time, his father was like, well, there might be something to this. And his brothers just couldn't see past the sheaves bowing and the stars bowing, and they got really upset. So here's, here's my first point, okay? Some people can't see past themselves, and that is why they miss the big picture. Some people can't see past themselves, and that is why they can't see the big picture. You see, for the 11 brothers, they were like, there is no way we are going to bow down to him because we are better than he is. Come on. Let's face it. If your siblings came to you at a family event and said, hey, you're going to be bowing down to me, you'd be like, nope. <laughs> I don't know what you've been drinking, smoking, eating, or where you have been, but that was not a dream for God. I will not be bowing down to you. Am, am I right? Right? Well, they couldn't see past themselves. They couldn't be, see past their selfishness. They couldn't see past their hatred of Joseph to see that God had actually sent them all a message and actually was giving them all their place in his plan in the future for their family. That's what he was doing. Each star that was represented meant that there was a future for each one of those stars that bowed. The moon, the sun, the whole thing, there was a future for them, and this is the picture of the future. Joseph was trying to figure out what in the world the picture meant. And let's just be, you know, I'm not gonna say that because I'm not supposed to say, let's be honest. Not gonna say that, working on it, okay? Let's just be straightforward. I can't even say that either. I'm just gonna start, yeah. <clears throat> Let me just say this. There isn't a person in this room that if they were given a dream by God, and they knew what it was and wanted to know what it meant, wouldn't start talking to people about it, right? You knew it was from God, and you would go to the closest people and just trying to figure out. So Joseph is like, oh, say, okay, there is something great for me. I don't know what it is. My, my, family, my family's not in on this. I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. And we know, because we have the Bible, that it was a picture of how great Joseph was going to be in the future. And how God was going to use him to save the promised seed of Abraham. That's what we know. So to kind of get a feel for how great Joseph became, I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Okay, Genesis chapter 50, verse 22 says this. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's brothers, as Joseph's own, sorry. 
And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And then there's this verse that up until this point, I have kind of skimmed over in my Bible reading. Okay? And I know you do that too, but every now and then you slow down. And here's what this verse says. It says, so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph became so great, he closed out a book of the Bible. You know, the next person to close out a book of a Bible is Moses pretty big it's pretty big to go from to go from genesis where it's like creation big story and then another big story of the tower of babel and then it's abraham and then we progress all the way through and all of a sudden joseph closes it out that's that's a pretty big thing yeah there's not many people that lived a life that closed out the bible right like a book in the bible it's it's pretty it's pretty significant it's it's actually awesome the second thing that i see about this is that they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now we can gloss over that and say, well, that's so that he would be preserved so he could go into the promised land. Okay, that is true. But if you back up a minute, the Egyptians did not embalm Hebrews. There's only two Hebrews that they embalmed. One was Jacob, Israel, and he was buried in the promised land. And then Joseph, they thought so much of him that they embalmed him, mummified him, put him in a casket, and possibly stuck him in a pyramid somewhere. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. So maybe the sun and moon had more to do with Egypt than it had to do with his mom and dad. Rolling that around? Yeah, I'll leave that there. You'll think about that, okay? So, so yeah, so here it is, and Joseph is so big, and Joseph never dreamed that he would accomplish what he accomplished in his life. He never dreamed that he would be embalmed in Egypt. That was not even on his radar. All he had was the dream that God, the two dreams that God gave, it, gave to him. That's all he had to hold on to, because he knew that his God was going to lead him to greatness now you and i also have a call on our life and i would submit to you this morning that it's a call that's greater it's greater than joseph's call you see joseph saw and came to realize that his vision was not about him but his small part in god's overall plan when he saw those visions, he was like, okay, God's going to do something. This is a part of his plan, and I'm just a small part of the big picture of what he is doing in the world to redeem the world. God is at work. I'm playing this much of a role. He wasn't even concerned about who bowed to him. He just wanted to know what he was supposed to do so he could do it, okay? That's what he was worried about. And so the thing that you and I are called to do is kind of the same thing, and it is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and this is what it says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is what this means. If you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're sitting in here saved, you're in his family, in his kingdom, that means that God the Father predestined you, his vision for you, is that you become more like Christ. In fact, not just more like Christ, that he's going to take you on a journey to where you are exactly like Christ. Conformed into the image of Jesus. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And currently, if you are following God, if you are following Jesus, you are being conformed into the image of our Savior. There is no greater calling than that. There's no greater calling than to be conformed into the image of the very one that paid for your sins on a cross, rose again, and gave you everlasting life. There is no greater calling. And he expects you and I to follow that calling. He expects you and I to grab a hold of that dream. He expects you and I to live for him in this world. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when we do that, we become lights in the world. And we have an impact that's greater than anything else that we could possibly do. Any other dream that we could possibly follow, that is the dream that we follow. It is him that we follow to make an impact on this world and be a small part of his plan. You see, it's not about us being powerful. It is about God working his plan through us. That's what it's about. It is not about my position. It is not about your position. It is not about where you're seated. It's not where I'm seated. It is about God using us for something greater. We need to think in these terms because every time we are selfish is a moment that we are not following God. And every time that we do not follow God is a moment that we are not following the destiny that was predestined to us to have by God the Father who created us. Was that too much, too wordy? I felt like it was a little too wordy. But I was really excited about it. I was just really excited about it. I was really excited about it. The vision of being like Christ, following him into that destiny, is awesome. And it's what you grab a hold of in this life to make it to that vision that God the Father has for you. You grab a hold of it. It will, it will sustain you through tough times. It will sustain you through good times. It will be the driving force behind who you are and who you become. That destiny. So let's think about this. And let's use Joseph's, Joseph's life to think about this. All right? Um, first, <clears throat> we know... Well, maybe, I'm assuming that you know that Joseph went from telling his dreams to being sold into slavery. And his brothers are the ones that sold him into slavery because they were the nicest individuals in the world. Just lovely people to be around, right? So they were sold, he was sold into slavery, and then he became like the top dog in Potiphar's house. He was still a slave, but he was over all the other slaves. And within that context, something happened. He was wrongly accused, and he was thrown into jail. And then in jail, um, he was in jail, which to me is lower than slavery, right? Like, which, where would you rather be, like in, in prison or 
A slave. Which one would, I'd rather be a slave. Right? I'd rather be free. Don't look at me culturally. This is just a, just a fact. You would rather not be in prison, right? And so here's he in prison, and what he did was he, the guys trusted him so much that, that the prison, the person that was over the prison, gave him the keys to the inside doors of the prison. Not the outside doors, but the inside doors. He led all the prisoners in that prison because of who he was. It, it's absolutely remarkable. So here's my first point. When you believe that God has called you to something greater, there is nothing that can hold you down. There's nothing that can hold you down. And there's nothing greater than to be called to be in the image of Jesus Christ our Lord. It, can't, it cannot hold you down. Um, I saw this last year with, with our group. I've seen this many times here at this church, but with our little church group right here. Uh, Summer Spectacular was starting, and the power went out. We put out a, a call through text and Facebook for generators, and we got enough generators to actually power all of Farmington. We had so many generators. It was awesome because people were like, yeah, we're going to make this happen. And so we had generators in the back here, generators out this window here, generator over here, and then a generator. I don't know how, what they were doing in the old building. I wasn't a part of that. You were. But there was, there was a generator over that that was just running that whole building so we could have the Bible story. So people came together, and they were like, hey, this is what God has called us to do as a church. We are going to make this happen. We're going to make this happen. And people jumped in. You can't hold us down. The electric outage couldn't hold this church down because they were called to something greater. And see, when something hits you like that, your response de depends on what you actually believe. Are you called to something greater or are you just going to be defeated by what just happened? And you rise to the occasion and you meet it head on. I thought about this a little bit. And, and um, of course I did because I'm preaching today. So I thought about this. And I, there's three things that, that I would just like to explain to you when it comes to your tenacity to do something. The first one is what I like to call... I will do that. Now, when I say I will do that, I know that there's a sense in which there's a way out. You do too. Okay? Just hang with me here. I will do that. I will do that if I can. Are you tracking? I will do that if I have time. I will do that if I... Does this make sense? I will do that. So, so it's that I will. So... So that's it. Something comes up. The second one is I can do that. Like I can do it. And, and this is what that means a big percentage of time when I say it. I can do that. <laughs> Come on. I'm being real, right? You're the same way. You know sometimes you say, I can do that. Right, I can do that. You really don't want to do it, but you can do it. You're kind of being forced to do it. If you're a child in a home, you have to do it, right? So, yeah, I can do it. And then there's this one. I must do that. I must do it. And when I'm on track with I must do that, you can't stop me. It's very difficult to stop me. In fact, you probably won't be able to. I will try, if you try to stop me, I'll try a way around you. And you are the same way. 
when you think you must do something, you will turn over uh, heaven and earth in order to get that accomplished. I must do it. And ladies and gentlemen, if the call of God to be in the image of his son grasps your heart, it is something that you must do. It's something that you must pursue. It is something that you must go after. I must follow Christ and him alone. And anything that comes in my way, we are going to take care of together. Come on. We're going to take care of it together. And so here's Joseph, and he's like, hey, I've been, born into, I've been sold into slavery. <laughs> but I don't know how this dream is going to work out, but I'm holding on to it. And I must live for God while I'm a slave. He gets thrown into prison. Man, this is really a lot worse. Man, it stinks down here. I don't think these people's had a bath. Potiphar's people at least bathed. Have y'all thought about this? Like, like, and where they went to the bathroom and the stench of all that, it would get the mediocre people very down really quickly. Yes, but Joseph's like, no, got a dream. This is God's purpose for my life, so this is what I'm going to do. I must live for God in this experience, and that's precisely what he did. And when you hit a tough time, your attitude needs to be, I must follow Jesus. I must give my all for him. Now, closely related that to that is my second little point. I must live for Jesus means I must be exceptional in this moment. I must be exceptional in this moment. I must be exceptional in this moment so that I can shine for Jesus, so that I can continue to follow him and do what I need to do. I need to be exceptional in this moment. Joseph, he's a slave. I must live for God, and he did. He was exceptional, and that's why he was put over Potiphar's house. Right? Yeah. When he was in prison, he says, this stinks, but I must be exceptional. And he was, and that's why he was put over the prison. And then, when he was taken out of prison... Pharaoh gave him a job, and he said, I must be exceptional in this moment. I must be exceptional with the, with the job that Pharaoh has given me that has made me successful. But before he even got there, he didn't know that was going to happen. He said, I'm going to be exceptional in this moment where I'm talking to Pharaoh. I'm going to tell him what his dream means. I'm going to tell him where the dream comes from. I'm going to tell him the meaning of the dream. And whatever happens, happens. In fact, I'm going to give him a solution to how he can save his people. Store up seven years, that whole deal. That's what I'm going to do. And whatever happens, happened. And Joseph approached life following God and being exceptional at every given moment of his life. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are going to follow Jesus, you need to be exceptional at it. No matter where you go, you're exceptional at it. No matter what storm comes your way, you're exceptional at it. You are living for Jesus and shining for him. You are exceptional. And that is when God leads you to a destiny that is bigger than you, that means more, has more impact than your little life could ever have because he uses you for his overall plan of his kingdom and the redemption of the world. That, that's, that's amazing. It's amazing. 
so, so here's, the ne- here's the next one. Okay? Here's the next one. You know, Joseph, head of Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife, thought he was good looking. And so she, she wanted to have an activity with, with Joseph, with old Joe. She set the scene. I don't know what perfume they had, but she set the scene. I don't know what clothes they had, but she set the scene. And she made it to where everybody wasn't in the house when her and Joseph was. No, nobody's there. So Joseph had a choice to make. And here's the choice. If he said yes to Potiphar's wife, he was saying no to God's destiny for him in his life. If he said no to Potiphar's wife, he said yes to God's destiny for his life. And you and I have that same opportunity every day of our life. We have the opportunity to either say yes to the world or no to God or no to the world and yes to God. It happens all the time. And every choice that you make in this life should be, is this going to help me follow Christ or is this going to hinder me from following Christ? Do I need to say Yes or no, because when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And you should never say no to God. You should never say no to God. And he didn't. And that's why this dream that he had was fulfilled later on. He remained faithful even when he couldn't. Let me, let me just give you something I think. Look, Joe, Joe's been hit pretty hard by people, you know? I mean, slaves. Right? He's a slave. Family doesn't love him. Been betrayed. Right? Here's this woman. Right? And I haven't had any pleasure ever. So just, I'm just going to have just a few moments of pleasure in this moment was a temptation. I deserve this good time for this moment. And you and I have been there, right? Man, it's been so hard, but I just want this one little thing. I know I'm not supposed to do it. I know it's a sin. I know God has told me not to do it. I know I'm not supposed to go there, but I'm going to do it anyway. And every time we do that, we're saying no to God and yes to what we shouldn't be doing. So we follow Jesus and we say yes to him, right? And here's the final one. Now, don't get too excited because I'm a Baptist preacher, and the final one has three points. <laughs> don't get too, too excited. You know when a Baptist preacher says the final one, you have about 30 more minutes. Yeah. So don't, don't start warming up your car with your little electronic device yet. We're going to be here, here a minute or two. But here's the final one. Here's the final one. When you live for God's vision for the world, when you follow Jesus the way you're supposed to, you can forgive. You can forgive. Now, to show you this, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. I think this is very important. Verses 4 through 8. And it says this. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. Now, he has just seen them for the first time in many years. 
okay? His betrayers. They're in his house. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, that was a moment. Because they didn't know. And I don't know if they thought about the dreams, but I would have. Right? I would have in that moment. Oh, my. Oh, my, 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 my. Verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I, 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 I had to pause here a moment when I was preparing this, this particular sermon because that means that his betrayers and the tough time that his betrayers put him into was just all about God accomplishing the vision God had for him in his life. And I don't know about you, and I'm pretty sure I know, but I don't know about you, but I've been betrayed before. I've been betrayed before. And I know you have too, at some level. At some level, you have felt betrayed, right? You felt betrayed. Well, that betrayal, if you were following Jesus, was just another step to get you to your destiny that he predestined you for. And when you have that particular mindset, that these people are, are, are being mean to me, these people are hurting me, these people have written me a five-page letter that just should never have been written, right? And they sent it to me. This is just a part of Jesus and God getting me to the next stage of my being conformed into the image of my Savior, of me accomplishing my destiny that God has set out before me. And that helps you forgive them because there's something bigger going on than the betrayal. There is something bigger going on than the hurt that that betrayal has caused your heart. God is moving you to where he needs you to shine for him. So even in the moment of betrayal, you realize God is orchestrating this. I'm going to follow him through this and I'm going to shine for him through this. So the text continues. It says in verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all his house and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. He's saying there's a bigger picture. I'm not even concerned anymore about what you did because I know that it was all a part of the plan all along. He was able to forgive. And maybe that's what you need in order to forgive that person that has betrayed you. You don't have to like them, but you can forgive them and see God's working it out for your good. Here's the second one. The second one is you can see the why. You can see the why. It's very simple. He sees why God had him betrayed. He sees why God had him in slavery. He sees why God put him in prison. He sees the path to get him to what God had for him in his life. He sees it. He knows the why. Now, I don't know when it dawned on him that this was the why. I don't, it, I don't think it was when he was a slave. I don't think it was when he was in prison. But he may have had a little glimmer of it because he kept saying, can you tell Pharaoh that I interpreted your dream so I can get out of here? 
So maybe he was hoping for, to get out of there and be a part of Pharaoh's court or whatever, to be an interpreter of dreams. I don't know. But I definitely know that sometime between the prison and Pharaoh and uh, Joseph's rise to power, he realized why God had given him the vision because he was going to be a small little part in God's plan to sustain a promise that God had made to Father Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation. Joseph knew this. Brings us to the last one, which is Genesis chapter 50. In verse 24, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph is passing on vision to his brothers of what's going to happen. He is giving them hope in his death. The, the family will not always live in Egypt. You will make it to the promised land. And to tell you how much I believe in this, I want you to take my bones there. Remember where I'm buried and take my bones there. Because when you follow Jesus, it is very hard to be selfish. When you follow Jesus, it is very hard for your life to be all about you and what's happening to you. When you follow Jesus, you live a life for other people. Others are on your mind. There isn't a human other than Jesus that has ever been born that doesn't have the selfish gene. We are all selfish people. Every single one of us in this room are selfish people. We're selfish. And we fight against that selfishness constantly. When you follow Jesus, you don't slip into selfishness because it's all about other people. When you stop following Jesus, you slip into selfishness and it becomes all about you. And the moment that you slip into selfishness is the moment you get jealous, you get upset, you start complaining. And you quit following the destiny that God has for you in your life. You lose your potential for greatness. But when you follow Jesus, he uses you. And he uses you in a remarkable way. When I die, I'm not, I'm not planning on it. I'm not planning, like in the next day or so, I'm not planning on dying. But when I die, this is what I want. I want to be cremated. I want my ashes just to be scattered on 1835 Farmington Road. The reason, well, not out there, here on this property. I want it to be scattered. Because when it's scattered, I want you to know that this isn't the final resting place. I have beat you to the promised land, but you can come when you get ready. Yes, beat you to the promised land, but you can come when you get ready. I must serve Jesus so people will get there. Amen? All right, let's pray.